So Jesus knew what his why was. And for the next 40 days, we're going to take this journey uh, in the footsteps of Jesus, and we're going to start right out where he started uh, his ministry with the temptation in the desert, in the wilderness. Uh, Claire mentioned it, the 40 days in the wilderness. And this is where it starts for Jesus. And Jesus had this incredible sense of why he was here. And hopefully by the time we're done this morning, I can help all of us understand the why that we're all here. Because that's a big question that all of us have, isn't it? It kind of rumbles around in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It starts out, it says, And in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now this, uh, this portion of scripture, the, the temptation in the desert shows up in three of the four gospels. It shows up in Matthew, it shows up here in Mark, and it shows up in Luke. Luke is the most detailed, and generally the case is Mark is the least detailed and kind of the cliff note version. Um, but this is the same story looked at through different eyes. And in Mark's version, uh, it's interesting that Mark pays attention to the wild beasts, for instance, of the wilderness. But the powerful piece here that I want us all to pay attention to as we enter into this 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday is what gives Jesus the power to be able to go into 40 days of fasting and then to have this encounter with the enemy that is a common encounter that we all consistently have with the enemy of our soul. Three encounters he has. It's always around this question, who am I? Now Jesus, it's important that when you read Jesus heading off, the scripture says that he's driven by the spirit into the wilderness. It's important that you understand that connected to this peace, it's so critical that the peace where the father speaks that he's his beloved son in whom he is well pleased, that that's totally connected. That Jesus in knowing that he is the beloved of the father has the power to be driven off into the wilderness. He has the readiness for anything. And then he begins to, he, he goes through this 40 days and during that process ends up with these three questions. And there are three questions around one big question and it's the question of who am I? And it's the question that all of us wrestle with. And if you can, if you can really have a grip on who you really are, you can live into your why the way that you really want to live into, the way that God intended for you to live into your why. 
Just to start out, I want you to know that just as much as God the Father tells Jesus that he is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased, I want you to know that God the Father says that over you, that you are a beloved son or daughter of God. God, before you were in your mother's womb, you were, you were a thought in God's mind, and he spoke you forth. Jesus uh, wrestles with the three questions that we wrestle with constantly. The first one is, we think that we are what we do. That somehow we think that we are what we do and we forget, it's easy to forget that we're the beloved of God. So we identify most probably with we are what we do. Now, if your life were kind of a timeline, if I drew your life as a timeline, start to finish, and this was the expanse of it, and, and you just looked at your life and you thought, well, my life, is, I, my life is what I do. What I do is what's most critical. Then what happens to us when it's all about what I do, it's the same question that the enemy asked Jesus when he said, well, turn this bread into stone. If you can do this, then you'll be what you really need to be. And Jesus denies that question. He pushes right past that question. Because, and it's interesting, too, that the enemy offers Jesus three things that Jesus already has. And it's the same for us. We get offered things that we already have. But the problem when we live our lives with just, I am what I do, is we're driven by our success. So when we're successful, things seem great. It seems like high, a high day. But then when things go bad, I lose my job, I take a pay cut or something that doesn't feel successful. It's not so good. So it's great when things are good. It's not so good when things are bad. And we, we live our lives in this place when we're driven by this question of, I am what I do, by always simply trying to stay above this medium line. If I could just stay above water, we even use those, that terminology. We find that this gets really difficult as we get older because um, we feel like we, maybe if we retire, that maybe I'm not useful anymore. If I am what I do, and I, don't, I, I no longer have my career, for instance, or if I get injured and I can't work for a while, or whatever it may be, then we're in, we're in a difficult place. You are the beloved of God. The second question that, that happens that we wrestle with is, I am what other people say I am. I am when people say good things about me, it feels good. When they're not saying good things about me, I feel bad. And we're driven by opinion. I've, I've had the opportunity to speak in front of a lot of people over almost four decades now. And you know what? You know the comments that I remember most clearly are not what the comments when people have come up and said, that was really helpful for me. That was really great. I don't know about you, but the comments that I remember, I remember, comment, I remember a comment from the first time I spoke about basically how bad it was. And that's how we are. And that's how the enemy brings this question to Jesus. He says, hey, why don't you jump off the temple? 
Why don't you jump off and put on a display and the people will be wowed? And Jesus goes right through the question because he knows that it's not about this temporary thing. This is not what's satisfying. He's the beloved of God, and you are the beloved of God. You are not what people say you are. It's good to have good things said about you. It's, it's, it's encouraging to have good things said about you. But at the end of the day, if we could rest in the fact that we're the beloved of God, that you are loved by God, that no matter what anybody says about you or has said about you or will say about you, God loves you. God has a plan for your life that goes beyond the opinions, even your own opinions sometimes. God is not expecting us to put on a show for him. And then the third question is, I am what I have. That's the question that the enemy brings to, the enemy brings to Jesus and says, I can, I, look at all these kingdoms. I can give all of this to you. All of this. You can have all the authority. Of course, again, it's what Jesus already has. But what happens when you take him up on that question and then all of a sudden you lose your job or your family falls apart for some reason or your possessions, you lose some of your possessions or somebody in your family passes away? And we live, we live life in this way that it feels just like up and down and there's no consistency. And Jesus tells the enemy, he just simply says, this is a lie. This is a lie. This is no way to live. And he confronts him at every level. And he's confronting him out of his belovedness, knowing that ultimately, first of all, he knows I have all of these things at my access, but even beyond that, this is just no way to live. Driven by these things. And Jesus has this amazing Ability to live out of this centeredness, this belovedness. See, what happens when we live like this, we have this sense of, I'm going to live my days out on the earth and then I'm going to die. And there just doesn't seem to be a lot of hope beyond that. We may believe in heaven, we may feel like or hope there's going to be something beyond that. But if we can live out of a belovedness that every day, waking up knowing, I bring myself to God with the opinions of people around me, good, bad, or indifferent, no matter what my career is or what I'm putting my hands to, what I'm capable of physically, no matter how much I have in possessions, no matter how all of those things look, I can bring myself, everybody can bring themselves to God knowing that they're the beloved of God. If you can live out of that place, it begins to take you beyond all of that kind of thinking. And it doesn't mean that good, good days don't happen and bad days don't happen and things don't go up and down like that, but it, it just kind of swallows that up and you live in this place of strength. I am the beloved of God. You are loved by God. You are not what you do. You probably do some absolutely amazing things, but that is not the totality of you. If that were taken away tomorrow, God would still love you absolutely and fully. You are not what people say you are. 
if the opinions of every person on earth, everyone that you interacted with were bad about you or negative, God would still absolutely love you. You are not the totality of your possessions. If you, if you are living at poverty level or you are living with incredible abundance, God does not change his view of your life based on that. If the stock market crashes and you lose hundreds of thousands of dollars because of that, God doesn't look at you less than he did the day before. You are no less in God's eyes than you were previously. Jesus goes into the desert with this word on him. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Just to be able to live in that realm and understand how much God loves you, how much he's committed to you. Psalm 139 says that your frame was not hidden from God when you were being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them was yet to exist. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than sand. I come to an end, but I am still with you. I am your beloved. Jeremiah 31, 3 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. In Isaiah 49, it says that you are engraved on the palm of God's hand. See, Jesus was able to go off and fast for 40 days and 40 nights and then live into that temptation and move through it with power because he knew that all of these questions were, were just, they were questions that were just simply temptations trying to keep him from his belovedness and he just remained there. I believe that Part of the reason that he goes into the 40 days of fasting is just to give this enlargement of his soul, this, this increased spaciousness to receive the word that he's beloved by his father, to let that ruminate with him, to let that be the thing that would be the guiding word for his life as he would live it for the next few years. That would be the word that would lead him to the cross, that he was his beloved son. And I believe that that's the invitation for us with the journey that each one of us is on to receive that word for ourselves that God is so committed to you, so loved, loving toward you and toward me. See, when I understand that I'm beloved by God, when you understand that you're beloved by God, we begin to get a sense of destiny. 
It's in that place that we find purpose and identity. And we have this awareness of the access we have to the unlimited resources of God. It begins to make us brave. I think Mark bringing out the wild beasts in the wilderness is interesting. Again, the scripture says, and the spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan. And he was with wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Then Jesus was led by the spirit, Mark said, into the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. See, I think brave people face evil with fasting. I think that what Lent uh, invites us to, what this 40-day journey invites us to, is a, a season of fasting. Jesus went into this 40 days of fasting leading into ministry. And I think the invitation for, for us is to perhaps consider fasting for during this 40 days. See, brave people understand that by fasting, they're drawing near to God. If I fast, if I say on this day or on these days in the next 40 days, I'm going to intentionally focus my, my, my core attention on my relationship with God. When we fast, it loosens, the scripture says, chains of heaviness and bonds and sin. Some of us have been going maybe for years and saying, you know, I've been serving Christ and I, I don't know what it is, but I can never get over these certain things. Or maybe there's, a, there's people around you or situations around you that you think, why as much as I hoped or try to help them get through that thing, or I've even seen them try to get through those things. Why has nothing changed? And Jesus himself even said a couple of times, he said, some of those things are not going to come out without some prayer and fasting. Fasting brings a heightened awareness and sensitivity. When I, when I, uh, when I put myself in a position where I say, okay, I'm going to go without food for a day, for instance, every time I feel that urge to go eat something, even at that level, it makes me more sensitive to the fact, well, maybe I should turn my attention to God. I, I hurt my back. Uh, Claire mentioned I wasn't feeling well this week, but right before that, I messed my back up. I used to laugh because I played a lot of sports and I never got hurt. And I said it was because I couldn't jump high enough or run fast enough. So I, I never did anything that could, I couldn't get injured because I didn't do anything fast enough. Anyway, um, I'm here to say that even if you're really slow, you can get hurt. I, so I was shoveling snow with Dante last, uh, our grandson, last Saturday, I think. And I just really tweaked my back. So you know how when you injure something, you don't want anybody around you? You're like a cornered animal. Like, don't touch me. Don't come near me. You know, don't jump on me. In, in, a, in a different way, fasting brings this sensitivity to the activity of God around you. It brings an awareness that we don't normally operate in. I think we all would honestly say that uh, 
There, there is much more going on around us than we realize, and only when we give more attention and more sensitivity and awareness to that do we see those things happening. So we face into evil with fasting by denying ourselves, which brings discipline. It takes discipline to deny ourselves, but denial and discipline bring power. At the end of the account, I think it's in Luke, the, the scripture says that the devil had to leave Jesus because he could find nothing in him. After 40 days of fasting and prayer, the enemy simply said, I can't tempt him with any of this stuff. Jesus standing in his belovedness, there was nothing to be found in him. When we fast, when we give specific attention to God, when we're praying, it brings power into our lives. And maybe most importantly for some of us, fasting is a tangible commitment, a tangible way that we can show renewal of our commitment to Christ. It's a tangible way to say, you know what, God, I'm serious about my relationship with you. I'm not going to do this just as a religious practice. I'm not going to go without something. I'm not going to take a time or a day where I'm, I'm not going to eat just as some religious thing. I really want to do this because I want to renew my commitment to you. So maybe this year, maybe this Lent, maybe this 40 days, that might be you. Ultimately, what this is about, what, what the invitation I think is for us is twofold. One is that we accept the fact that we're beloved by God, that God loves us. You don't have to fast for God to love you. God won't look at you any better. He won't think you're a, a greater person. There's two levels that go on uh, in this whole account, two, two issues that are going on. Jesus is denying his flesh. You notice he doesn't say to the enemy when the enemy says, you know, turn this bread into stone. He doesn't say, hey, I've been fasting for 40 days. Isn't that good enough? No, Jesus is denying his flesh because we all have to deny our flesh. That's a part of our relationship with Christ. But Jesus uses the word with those spiritual things that the enemies bring up. So there's, there's, the, there's the spiritual issues and then there's the natural flesh issues that have to be dealt with. So we receive our belovedness on this day. Each and every one of us know this, know this, that God loves you. I don't care what you were doing last night or early this morning. Know that God loves you. And he is inviting you into a closer relationship with you. And secondly, know that God is inviting us all into a closer place with him. So I'd like to invite anybody that would like to just be, say, you know what, I want to be a part of a fast. I'd, I'd like to try this. Maybe you've never done it before in your whole walk. You've never fasted. Wouldn't it be awesome just to see what this might open up for you in your life. Anyway, there's uh, clipboards that Sean and Kathleen have, and they're going to just pass around, and you don't, don't feel compelled to sign up at all. Uh, a lot of our pastors have already signed up for like a day, a week, during this 40 days. 
but what an opportunity to maybe say, you know what, I'll do this. I'll do this, uh, I'll do this once a week, or I'll go without lunch. And then let's just see what God might do as we open up our lives to God's invitation for us for this season of Lent. Amen? Why don't we stand?